You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 8th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio, followed by a roundup of regional weather and news. Then, Keith Porter talks to Megan Lloyd, Adult Services Librarian for the Nevada County Community Library, about the Nevada County Reads program, which kicks off today. Al Stoller wraps up the newscast with a report on three spacecraft about to converge on Mars. For its generous support of KVMR, we thank Briar Patch Food Co-op, featuring an in-house deli and bakery, a sustainable meat and fish department, also organic produce from local farms, offering curbside pickup at 290 Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, briarpatch.coop. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Senate has confirmed Dennis McDonough to lead the Department of Veterans Affairs. NPR's Quill Lawrence reports he is the only second non-veteran to hold the post. McDonough is a political veteran, not a military one. He was President Barack Obama's chief of staff, among many other posts. President Joe Biden's choice of a Washington insider may be a nod toward recent VA secretaries who have failed to navigate the politically charged and bureaucratically staggering job. There have been nine acting or confirmed secretaries in the past six years. VA is the second largest department after the Pentagon. It provides health care for about 9 million veterans, as well as disability and educational benefits. Dennis McDonough says his direct access to President Biden and his experience working with Congress will help with issues like the VA's increased use of private health care and the department's handling of the pandemic. Quill Lawrence, NPR News. Some scientists have been arguing to delay the second dose of the coronavirus vaccine so more people can get their first dose. NPR's Richard Harris reports that officials continue to push back against the idea, though. The United Kingdom has been delaying time between doses to accelerate rollout of its vaccine. But that's a different vaccine, and there's no data showing that strategy would work with the vaccines in use here. At a White House briefing, Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease doctor, said even studying the question doesn't make sense. That study, with all due respect, would take several months to get a meaningful answer. At that time, the amount of vaccine that would be available would almost be making that question somewhat of a moot point. Fauci has consistently said that his strategy is to get people fully protected as quickly as possible, rather than giving more people partial immunity with a single dose. Richard Harris, NPR News. An order by Tampa's mayor mandating masks at post-Super Bowl gatherings and parties in the Florida city this past weekend apparently went largely unheeded. Made reports of throngs of maskless fans pouring into the streets and packing sports bars around the city following yesterday's Super Bowl. Mayor Jane Castor, however, said orders only go so far. There just has to be that level of personal responsibility. You can supply everyone with a mask, advise them of the science behind it, and expect that they are going to to abide by the mask order. Inside the stadium, the NFL had capped Sunday night's crowd at less than a third of capacity, but outside social distancing appears to have been largely abandoned. The hometown Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 31 to 9. Head of a company called Fraud Guarantee, which was supposed to prevent fraud, has been sentenced to just over a year in prison. The head of the aptly named company, Florida businessman David Correa, pleaded guilty in October to making false statements to the Federal Election Commission. 
Commission and conspiring to commit wire fraud. Prosecutors contend former President Trump's uh, personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani was also involved as a consultant. This is NPR. Kirk Siegler is reporting the city of Boise has agreed to abandon its decade-long legal battle over ticketing the homeless for camping in public. More than a year ago, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the city's appeal in a case challenging whether Boise police could ticket homeless people for camping when there aren't adequate shelter beds available. Now, apparently acknowledging it likely wouldn't prevail in lower courts, Boise is settling the lawsuit and putting more than a million dollars toward housing and support services. Eric Tars is legal director at the National Homelessness Law Center. So the city is going to decrease the number of encampments in Boise permanently by housing people rather than by arresting them for simply trying to survive, which only prolongs their homelessness. Tars says the settlement shows that Western cities can no longer put police on the front lines of the crisis. Kirk Ziegler, NPR News, Boise. Defenders of rioters at a St. Louis jail say inmates who broke out of their cells and set fires did so to draw attention to what they say are inhumane conditions at the facility, including a lack of protective equipment to slow the spread of the coronavirus. According to the St. Louis Dispatch, a leader of the group ex-incarcerated people organizing St. Louis said during a virtual rally Sunday the uprising was due to inmates' basic needs not being met. A prison guard was hurt in the uprising and is hospitalized but is expected to recover. On Wall Street today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 237 points to end the session at 31,385. The Nasdaq closed up 131 points. The Standard & Poor's 500 was up 28 points today. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Over the weekend, some parishioners gathered in houses of worship across the state after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled against parts of California's ban on indoor worship services put in place because of the coronavirus pandemic. The Supreme Court ruling came in response to lawsuits brought by California churches against the state, arguing that California's pandemic restrictions violated constitutionally protected religious freedoms. On Sunday, Pastor Che on of Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, one of the churches that sued, celebrated with his congregation. Churches can meet, uh, not just in California, but throughout the United States, because this sets a precedence, sets a precedence, it sets a precedence, not for our time, but also in perpetuity. Let's give Jesus all the praise and all the glory. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. California can still limit attendance and worship services to 25% of a building's capacity. And it can also maintain its ban on singing and chanting as ways to control the spread of the coronavirus. Some churches are wary of the Supreme Court's decision. The head of San Francisco's Grace Cathedral said the high court was ignoring science by ruling against the indoor worship ban. Staying on the pandemic, more than 1,100 active-duty military personnel will start providing assistance at vaccination centers across the country, including here in California. A military team is expected to deploy to the Golden State in the coming days. Pentagon officials say the team will help staff federally run vaccination sites in either Oakland or the campus of Cal State Los Angeles. Meanwhile, more than 9 million Californians get their health care from Kaiser Permanente. And for both its members and non-members, 
Kaiser is playing a growing role in the distribution of the coronavirus vaccines. For instance, it's opened vaccination super centers in the state, one at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, the other on the campus of Cal Poly Pomona east of LA. I got a tour of the Pomona site last week and talked to Dr. Michael Moore, a director of Kaiser's COVID vaccination programs. He spoke about the capabilities of the super centers and problems Kaiser has had with vaccine supplies. We plan to give about 500 doses today, probably 1,000 or 1,500 tomorrow. And ultimately, vaccine dependent, we'll be able to give upwards of 10,000 doses uh, every day. You said vaccine dependent. I know that Kaiser, like in Santa Clara County, has had to cancel thousands of appointments because there just weren't enough vaccines available. Continuing problem? I mean, do you see that happening again and again in the future? It certainly could happen. We are disappointed. We would love to have more and we are ready to give it as fast as we can get it. And uh, we hope that the state will be able to procure more from the federal government and other manufacturers can, can bring more of the vaccine. But our job is to take whatever we can get and to give it as fast as we can. Because you know we're in a race against this virus, so as quickly as we can get the vaccine, that's how quickly we'll give it. Is that your kind of three o'clock in the morning thought, doctor, that, oh, well, we have the centers open, but we run out of vaccines? Yes, there is no question. That's probably what keeps me up, up at night. But we can't, we can't solve it without the vaccine. And so, you know, we have the appointments and we're happy to give those appointments. We wish we had more, but the appointments have to match the vaccine. That was Dr. Michael Moore of Kaiser Permanente. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. One of Joe Biden's first actions as president was to revoke Donald Trump's travel ban against several Muslim-majority and African nations. But as KQED's Farida Javala romero reports, that doesn't mean families affected by the ban will get relief right away. Armin Derry is an anesthesiologist near Fresno, originally from Iran. He and his sister, who are now U.S. citizens, have spent six years trying to get permission from the U.S. government for their elderly father to move here from Tehran. All of us are, were, and have been in this sense of suspension. What's going to happen next? He says President Donald Trump's travel ban targeting Iran and other countries was a huge obstacle. And despite lawyers and persistent letters to the government, they were stuck in bureaucratic limbo. Too much emotions, too much time. It's been very rough uh, five, six years for us. Derry hopes his father can finally move to California in a few months. He worries about his well-being. I can definitely uh, see some depression. Uh, anxiety and the feel of hopelessness in my father. Biden ordered the State Department to resume processing visas for people from the 14 countries targeted by the travel ban. The agency must also reconsider more than 41,000 visa requests that were denied, most of them from Iran. How they're going to go about this, we don't know yet. Arti Kohli directs the Asian Law Caucus in San Francisco. 
She says Biden ending the ban is just the first step. And we will be watching carefully, working with the administration to make sure that all these people who've been separated from their partners, from their children, can be reunited with family. Mohamed Albarak, who works at his father's corner store in San Francisco, says the travel ban discouraged him from even applying to bring over his wife from Yemen. Because I knew I would have to spend so much time on getting nowhere. Albarak is 26, a naturalized U.S. citizen who returned to Yemen in 2018 for the wedding. A few months ago, he came back to the U.S. to apply for his wife's visa and vote for Biden so he could end the travel ban. In the meantime, his wife and toddler are stuck in a country engulfed in war. You know, I can't imagine, like, in, in three or four years when my daughter grows up, how would she even function, like, psychologically and intellectually? There's no schooling. Still, he says Biden's decision to end the travel ban gives him hope. A little more hope, a little more hope, yeah. A State Department spokesperson says even though visas are again being processed, Pandemic delays will continue to slow the work in coming months. For the California Report, I'm Farida Jabala Romero. And that's the California Report for Monday, February 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Make sure to check out and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In our local weather, for the Nevada City Grass Valley area, cloudy tonight with a low of 46 degrees. Tuesday is expected to be cloudy with a high of 54 degrees and a low of 44. Our area might see some showers later in the week. The current forecast is that rain will move in late Thursday. In Truckee, cloudy overnight with a low of 26 degrees. Mostly cloudy in Truckee Tuesday with a high of 43 degrees and a low of 24 Sacramento is expecting partly cloudy conditions Tuesday with a high of 63 degrees and a low of 41. A Nevada County fire official confirmed this morning to the Union newspaper that a three-year-old girl previously reported missing in a Grass Valley residential fire has died as a result of the blaze. Terry McMahon, Nevada County Consolidated Fire District Fire Marshal, told the union the fire Friday evening in the 10,000 block of Parkview Drive appears to have been accidental, although investigation is ongoing. First responders located two burn victims, an adult and a child. Both were transported by helicopter to a regional burn center. A relative of the victims, who is also an employee of the union, identified them to the newspaper as a mother and son. The relative said the mother was discharged from the hospital Sunday and the boy is still hospitalized. Cal Fire and Nevada County Consolidated Fire District are investigating the blaze. At a news conference today, Governor Gavin Newsom stated that cases of COVID-19 have fallen 29% in the state over the past seven days. Hospitalizations in the state are down 34% in the last two weeks, and ICU admissions are down 25% in the past two weeks. Newsom continued to decry the scarcity of the state's vaccine supply, stating, we can't move fast enough to get the vaccines out of freezers and into people's arms. He said that almost 4.7 million Californians have been vaccinated with at least one dose. 
According to the State Department of Health website, more than 11,000 doses of the vaccine have been administered to Nevada County residents. The Sacramento Bee reports today that multiple state agencies will work together to create a unified standard for home hardening, those methods for making buildings and communities more resistant to fires. The State Department of Insurance announced today it will develop the standards in partnership with CAL FIRE, the Governor's Office of Emergency Services, the Public Utilities Commission, and the Governor's Office of Planning and Research. California already has some of the toughest fire-resistant building codes in the country for structures built since 2008. An investigation by the McClatchy News Service found that the building codes may have helped save homes in the 2018 campfire in Paradise. The investigation found that over half the homes built since 2008 were undamaged in the campfire, while only 18% of older homes went undamaged. The Bee reported that the announcement today comes as State Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara attempts to convince insurance companies to resume selling coverage to homeowners in fire-prone communities. After paying tens of billions of dollars in claims from the campfire and other recent California disasters, insurers have been abandoning high-risk regions. In the Sierra foothills, insurers sent out 42,000 non-renewal notices to homeowners in 2019. Those who can't get replacement coverage have to buy bare-bones policies from California Fair Plan, the state's insurer of last resort, usually at two or three times what they'd been paying for traditional insurance. On January 1st, the Fair Plan raised its rates by 15%. A massive report released today by the federal government's National Institute of Standards and Technology in cooperation with CAL FIRE represents an exhaustive look at the timeline of the Paradise Fire. The report paints a sobering picture for forested communities in California and for PG&E as they work to clear trees, build defenses, and adequately prepare for the next wildfire season. One of the authors of the report, fire protection engineer Alexander Marangidis, said Paradise was about as well prepared for a big fire as a heavily wooded community could be. Among the report's most startling conclusions is that the seven miles that separated Paradise from the source of the fire, rather than serving as a buffer, actually made things worse, enabling the fire to gather fury as it approached the town. The 421-page report is available for reading online. Evacuation preparedness and other emergency-related issues will be addressed in a follow-up report to be released about a year from now. I'm Keith Porter with KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Megan Lloyd. And Megan is the Adult Services Librarian at the Madeline Hilling Library in Nevada City. And today is a special day, Megan, so tell us about that. Today is the first day of our Nevada County Reads and Rights kickoff. So this week we have an art walk kickoff in downtown Nevada City, which is going to culminate in a welcome address by Shelley Covert, which is available online on Saturday the 13th at 1 p.m., the art walk is all week, so it starts today and it ends on Saturday. How does someone participate in the art walk? So if you are interested in checking out the art, um, you can just wander around downtown Nevada City. We have maps up, and you can also check out our map online. So if you go to 
nevadacountyreads.com. We have that uh, Art Walk map available so you can follow along, or you can just find them in the storefronts and follow along there, too. It's nevadacountyreads.com. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, and you get the map, and you can get it at the storefronts, and you can see art all through Nevada City. So that gets started now. Uh, you, you mentioned an event on Saturday. Yes, on Saturday we have invited uh, Shelley Covert from the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project to give a welcome address to inspire our county to look towards our own local history and to talk about her work with CHIRP, which is the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project and the Nisenon Tribe. All right, and so that will happen Saturday, and say the time again? Uh, Saturday at 1 p.m., and that's going to be online. And how does someone uh, participate in that? If- you can sign up on our website, like I said, the NevadaCountyReads.com, um, and we'll also have it available as a recording on our Facebook and our YouTube. Okay, and so the big event, which is an annual program, which is called Nevada County Reads and Writes. So t- tell us about that. How long has Nevada County been doing that, and, and what's the subject this year? Well, Nevada County's been doing that for over 10 years. Um, we've, we always have a, a book that we'd like to read for the year, and this year's book is The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Um, it's a really interesting book, and I definitely think you should uh, check it out if you have a chance. We have copies available uh, for checkout, or you can just ask for an honor book copy, which is a book that you don't have any due dates, and you can uh, take your time to read as you like. And you don't even need a library card to check out a, a honor book. So you have copies of that available for folks, uh, and how do they obtain it? Well, if you give your local branch a call, we'll have it ready for you to pick up. Okay, so you can pick it up at your local branch library. So you have lots of those available, I'm sure, and that's The Roundhouse. It's a novel by Louise Erdrich. And can you give us a little synopsis without, uh, <laughs> with no spoiler <laughs> alerts? <laughs> well, it's a coming-of-age novel uh, set in an Indian reservation, and it talks about issues like justice, and then some upsetting stuff like violence against women and murder, even. Oh, well, it sounds yeah. like a great read, and it's uh, something that's been happening for a number of years in Nevada County. Very successful program, right? The Nevada County reads and, and writes, and, and there's some uh, adjunct material for younger readers as well. Yeah, we are actually highlighting a couple other books. So for teens, we have Hashtag Not Your Princess, which is a really beautiful book. It's a kind of a compilation of short stories and poetry and art by Native artists, and it's really a fun read. And then for younger readers, we have a picture book that we actually helped produce last year with a couple of locals, including Shelley Covert, that's in Nisenon language, our local uh, tribe, tribe's language. Um, so that's a very cool read that, that we can participate, uh, younger readers can participate in. I assume one doesn't have to be fluent in the Nisenan language to enjoy it, but uh, there, you would learn something about the language by looking at the pictures and uh, reading what's written there. Is that about how it would work? Yeah, definitely. And you, you get a, a free translation included. Ah, okay. So all there for those who aren't proficient in that language. Megan, that's a, it's a wonderful service of our library. Tell us a little bit more about uh, what the library has coming up beyond this uh, particular event. Oh, yeah, we have lots of exciting books, book talks coming up, and those are throughout the county for all ages, kids and adults and teens. We have some awesome programs like Art for Mental Health, led by a local art therapist. We have writing workshops led by local writers. We have Nissanon Culture Talks and Tours Online, Unity Conversation Series with Color Me Human, and we're really excited about our finale on 
March 27th. We're calling it Native Voices. So we're going to highlight Shelley Covert of Anisanon again. We have a representative from the Washoe Tribe of Nevada and California coming, Herman Fillmore, um, to talk about the Truckee side of our history. And we have our keynote speaker, Susan Schoen Harjo of the Morning Star Institute. And she has worked a lot on Native American sacred places and getting Native Americans their rights back. All right. So, Megan, how is the library doing with uh, the COVID pandemic underway? Uh, you know, we uh, we roll with the punches. So we, we do what we can to make sure that people still get access to what they need and what they like. So we have a lot of grab bags available as well, including grab bags for Nevada County Reads and Rice. This week we have Art for Nonviolence, which is inspired by uh, some themes from the book. Um, we also have curbside pickups, so you can call and schedule a time to come pick up your holds. You can place holds online or by calling us. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're here to help as much as we can. Excellent. And so uh, we are kicking off today an art walk that is part of the Nevada County Reads and Rights 2021 program, and uh, that culminates with everyone hopefully reading Louise Erdrich's book, The Roundhouse, and there is an online forum about that this Saturday, and the time again? It's at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. this Saturday, the 13th, and then everyone will be reading together this book and uh, interacting about it, right? Reading and talking about it. Okay. Well, Megan Lloyd, uh, the Adult Services Librarian at uh, the Madeline Helling Library in Nevada City, thank you very much for joining us today, and thanks for keeping the library going and uh, relevant to all the things that we do uh, in our daily lives. Thank you so much. Next up, Al Stoller on the shortest distance between Earth and Mars. It's been more than two years since a spacecraft from Earth has landed on planet Mars. Now, within the next two weeks, not one, not two, But three spacecraft will arrive at the rusty red planet. Three spacecraft arriving at once is not a coincidence. It relates to something folks saw in the sky thousands of years ago. Next summer, looking up at the sky at night, we'll see the scorpion. The shape of the body, the curve of the tail, the stars of the sting. Without doubt, that is a scorpion. The same scorpion people saw in the sky thousands of years ago. Relative to each other, the stars in the constellation do not seem to move. They are stuck. The stars of the Scorpion, the stars of all the constellations, are stuck. And yet, there are five stars that are not stuck. Five stars wander from one constellation to another. The Greeks referred to these wandering stars as planets. The word planet came from the Greek word for wandering. Even as they wander, The planets move through the sky at a pretty steady clip. Planets do not move fast through one constellation, slowly through another. Planets move steadily from Sagittarius to Capricorn, Capricorn to Aquarius. Planets do not shift gears. Well, with one exception. That exception is Mars. Thousands of years ago, people noticed that sometimes Mars moves slowly through the sky, and sometimes Mars moves fast. This ancient observation relates directly to why this month, three spacecraft will arrive at Mars at pretty much the same time. Imagine a simple experiment. Get up on your roof and drop a rock over the edge. As the rock leaves your hand, while it's still far from the ground, the rock falls slowly. But as the rock approaches the ground, 
it falls faster and faster. Isaac Newton, some centuries ago, realized that Mars and Earth, all the planets, are falling. We're not falling toward anything. We're all falling around the sun. That rule we discovered on the roof, that a rock falls slowly when it's far from the ground, falls faster as it gets closer to the ground. That same rule applies to the planets as we fall around the sun. And it applies especially to Mars. The orbit Mars makes around the sun brings Mars sometimes closer to the sun, sometimes farther away. Like that rock, when Mars is close to the sun, it moves fast, which makes it move fast through our sky. When Mars is farther from the sun, it slows down, which makes it move slowly through our sky. That is why, thousands of years ago, people saw Mars moving through the sky sometimes fast and sometimes slow. Mars moves fast when it's closer to the sun, and when Mars is closer to the sun, Mars is also closer to us, closer to Earth. By waiting to launch spacecraft only when Mars comes close, planetary explorers sending a spacecraft from Earth to Mars can cut 50, 60, 70 million miles off the trip, which is why three spacecraft from three different countries are all arriving at the same time. Of the three, the American spacecraft will reach Mars not this week, but next. Until then, for KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. Coming up next at 6.30, it's WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, followed at 7 p.m. by Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. If you'd like your voice on our newscast, think about submitting a commentary to news at kvmr.org. Commentary guidelines can be found at kvmr.org under the News section.